And kids, you are dismissed to Children's Church if, if you are among that age. And for the rest of you, I invite you, uh, you can pull out your sermon notes if, if that's one of your things, or the Bible app, and, and with, regardless, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 6. Um, this is a loaded chapter, and a lot of fun, different things, but um, I, I was thinking about it this week, and I could describe a lot of places. We got to go back to Colorado um, a month ago, a couple months ago. And one of the exciting things, and I, I, had, I hate to say it this way, but you know, here I am getting to go see my son, which I haven't seen in months. I'm getting to see my daughter for the first time in what feels like forever. And I was, yes, I was excited to see them, but I was really excited for some restaurants I was going to go eat at. <laughs> because maybe it's not just me, because I don't think it is, but have you ever had an experience where you couldn't wait because it was so good? I mean, you, you went to this restaurant and the service and the food was just, oh. And you couldn't wait to go back. Maybe it's not just me. I, I, but, but I have these, these places that when I go, I know where I'm going. Because, yeah. As you can tell, I eat well at different points. But in today's passage, in John chapter 6, we kind of are encountering something similar to that experience. The very beginning of chapter 6, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people fish and chips. And you know when you've had good seafood, you've had good seafood. And there is, it's not just that he supplied this, it's that there was an abundance. Everybody ate to their full. And there was extra, 12 baskets full to be exact. Verse 14 notes that the crowd realizes that there's something special about this guy named Jesus. In fact, it says they think that he is the prophet they've been waiting for. And that they have some intention that because of this, they are going to make Jesus king by force. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing their intentions, it says that he escapes and heads up a mountain to pray. In the midst of this, evening's coming, and the disciples are trying to figure out what to do, and they hop in a boat and start making their way across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Later that evening, a storm kicks up. They're freaking out a little bit. And here, the, uh, most of, several of them are, are pretty established fishermen. They know what to do, but it says they're freaking out a little bit with this storm that's kicking up. And all of a sudden, they start noticing someone catching up to them. And they're not in a boat. And they start wondering what's going on. Is it a ghost? Is it this or is it that? And Jesus declares, do not be afraid. 
for it's me. He gets in the boat, and it says they immediately are at the shore. Well, the next morning, the crowd wakes up, and they start looking for Jesus. They know that he didn't get in the boat with his disciples, and yet they can't find him anywhere. So they're trying to wonder what they're going to do, and they all of a sudden some boats from a nearby village called Tiberias show up, and they hop in those boats and go across the Sea of Galilee as well. Verse 25 tells us that they got to Capernaum, and suddenly they're surprised to find Jesus there. And they ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's an interesting question. Not how did you get here, but when did you get here? And Jesus, being Jesus, has this way of making us think and take a step back from just normal reactions. And he makes us understand sometimes and look into our, more of our desires and our motivations because he knows that what they are asking is really, do you got any more bread? Do you got any more fish? How are you going to feed us today? And basically, in the midst of this, this little reply, he's getting into some important questions for them, and by extension of what John is writing and sharing with his readers, in, all the way to us, is he's asking us a few questions. It's, it's like this, why do you seek me? What do you want? And why are you following me? Because there's a lot of reasons that people seek out Jesus. I mean, both then and now, we read, as we read the gospel accounts, we find so many different occasions that Jesus' miracles set people free. It sets them free from tangible burdens, from illnesses, from persecution, from isolation, from demonic oppression, from embarrassment, from physical limitations, and from hunger, just to name a few. And let's be honest, there's a lot of reasons people still seek Jesus today. For instance, some seek Jesus for a get-out-of-hell card. That's, that's a truthful statement. May feel a little uncomfortable to talk about it, but, but when we think, it, it's really not a bad thing because when you realize that without Jesus, we're on our own. There is no everlasting life. There is no heaven to be, to be brought into. And the only other option is hell. It's life away from God. And so who wouldn't want Jesus? And really, we're all in that boat at this point. 
Another reason is that some seek Jesus to obtain a healing. And of course, my text locks up for the first time in five years. Just a second. Now, there's nothing wonderful about pain. None of us desire pain. The older I get, the more I wake up with aches and different things that I realized weren't there before. And I know some of you are saying, just wait. <laughs> There's nothing wonderful about having incurable diseases. So if you know that Jesus can do something about it, why wouldn't you come to the great physician? It's a valid reason to come to Christ and to seek Jesus. Some seek Jesus to be set free from sin and addiction. There's nothing good about being in bondage to meth and heroin and cocaine and alcohol. There's nothing fun about being a slave to gambling and to food and to nicotine or immorality. No one enjoys an addiction and what it can do to their bodies or to their lives. And Jesus tells us that he came to set free the brokenhearted and to minister to those that are in bondage. So it's reasonable when we're dealing with those things, much like the testimony today, to come to Jesus to be set free. Some seek Jesus because they're just flat overwhelmed with problems and troubles. They find themselves in the pit of life and they need help. And it doesn't matter if you dug the pit or if you just fell in, in the midst of it, the truth is that when we find ourselves in deep trouble, we need and want help. And Cliff can share uh, many different stories about people that are trapped in this crisis mode, feeling like they can't get out. And we know that we need to look for help, and so thankfully, there's Jesus. Some seek Jesus because they're just overwhelmed with grief. Losing a child, a spouse, or a loved one is not an easy thing. It can tear us apart. We can fall into a to depression that is deep and it's wide. And Jesus tells us that we can come to him and give to him all of our burdens. He tells us that he is with us even in the midst of the shadow of the valley of death. The truth is that's just a handful of the reasons that people seek Jesus. We can all share of different stories and different times and Jesus states in, in verse 26 that these people have sought him out because they fed, he fed them. And they want another meal. They seek him for physical resource. 
They want their stomachs filled. And they want Jesus to take care of their needs. And before we get all high and mighty and we look down on them and we start to judge them, we can realize that we and admit that there have been times that we are no different than they are. Where we have wanted that same kind of thing. It's easy for us to want Jesus to do something for us. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to want those things. And I, and I fully realize and appreciate that it's in the midst of those things, that in those times when we're overly stressed, that sometimes we are the most receptive to finding what Jesus can do in our own hearts and lives and finding the freedom that only he can offer. But here's the deal. When we, we can miss out when that's all we want from Jesus. Jesus desires more relationship with us than just being treated like a genie in a bottle that we pull out and seek when we need something. It's wrong if we want Jesus only because we want personal prosperity or gain or just to be tempered while, to make ourselves feel good and then oh Jesus I got this because Jesus wants us to desire himself more than just the things in life Jesus wants us to experience abundant life not just full bellies. And sometimes it's really easy to get these things confused. I mean, think about the stories that John has shared. Jesus speaks about the temple of God and, and the people around him, these religious leaders, they hear him talk about this and all of a sudden they, they're just physically thinking about what's right before them in a mere building while Jesus is talking about something much bigger than that, that the temple of God, that God can reside not just in a physical location but in the very heart's of those that trust and follow him. Jesus starts talking to Nicodemus who sought him out at night. And Nicodemus is questioning him about some different things and philosophies and ideas. And, and Jesus starts talking about being born from above. And Nicodemus can only think about the physical and how is it that a man can go back into the physical womb? Because he had no clue that we could be reborn through the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit. He had no clue that a man could experience being changed from the inside out, not just by following various man-made rules. Last week we heard from the woman who Jesus encountered at the well. And at first she's very stuck on, on tradition and race, and history, and the fact that Jesus was talking about water, and yet he didn't have a physical water bucket for him to give her anything. She couldn't quite wrap her mind around this idea of living. 
water. And she couldn't see that Jesus could bring about a joy and a happiness that surpasses anything that we could ever imagine. That Jesus can bring forgiveness and healing in one's soul, mind, and spirit. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that, that he came to bring us more than a better physical life. For if all we're getting is what's on this, this temporary time that we call life on this particular planet, then we're, it's pretty limited. He understands our physical needs. Scripture tells us that Jesus understood and, and fully enveloped humanity in his time by coming here. But he also understands that he came to do more than take away our problems and cares for a few minutes. Jesus came to teach us that there is an eternal perspective and that things of this world have a shelf life. Think about it. How many of us have seen things that we valued incredibly? I mean, some of you are, are motorheads, and you've been watching and dreaming of that particular car since you were a teenager. And now you experience that vehicle sitting in the middle of a field, rusting away. Everything in this world, or of this world, is temporary. All that we have is ha around us has a shelf life, but as those created in God's image, we have the opportunity to experience eternal life because the fruits of God's Holy Spirit can give us a fruit that never expires. It never spoils. It never goes bad. It is never limited. This morning's passage really asks us a question that we, each and every one of us, needs to answer this morning. Is Jesus enough? Is following Jesus enough for me? The, the reason I, I, I say that is these questions, we need to wrestle with this because there's, there's ample experiences and stories that even we've read here that, of people that have ultimately gotten tripped up in the midst of, of their search for Jesus. You have the rich young ruler who, who came to Jesus and, and I've done all the different things. Pat me on the back. What, is there anything else really I really need to do? Well, Give everything you have and come and follow me. And it says he went away sad because he had much wealth. You have Judas, who ultimately for 30 silver coins betrayed his Lord. You have uh, Demas, who was serving with Paul and ultimately goes after an easier, easier life. These three, to the best of our knowledge, believe that Jesus wasn't enough. 
They ultimately sought something else. They wanted Jesus plus. They, they, they liked the understanding of what Jesus had to offer, but yet, God, there, there's got to be more. They also wanted the riches and power and easiness in life. They wanted to be in control. Ultimately, they, they weren't prepared to allow Jesus to be Savior, Lord, and King. Savior's easy because that's the get out of hell card part. Lord and Savior is where, Lord and King is, is, is an important part of it that we often miss. We, we like the get out of hell card. We like that we're saved. We like that we can claim it. We like that that, that part was easy. The reason we've been asking since the end of December is who will you crown king is because it's imperative that we understand that Jesus needs to be Lord and king of my life. That God, I, I, yes, I want, and I, and I thank you for the opportunity because of your belief in you and what you've done that I can have eternal life, but now I have to surrender my life. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? In contrast to those other three, you have Paul. Paul had it all. In, in his own words, uh, he, he was a Jew among Jews. He was living in Jerusalem. He was a ruler, making his way up the religious uh, ranks of religious leaders. But then he had a perspective change that came because he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He realized that Jesus was not just a prophet, not just a good guy, but that he was the Messiah, the Lord, and the King of Kings. And that he received Jesus as his redeemer and Lord of his life. That it totally changed his perspective. Suddenly everything else that he had in life was nothing. It was set aside. In Philippians 3, he writes, More than that, I regard everything as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. You see, Paul could have had the riches. He had the, the pedigree and all the different things. He, he could have had the fame and the power. He was already working that way. He was of notoriety because of it all. And he only wanted to follow now as a result King Jesus because the rest was all futile. Paul answers this question that Jesus asked the Capernaum, people of Capernaum. Paul's answer of what do I want from Jesus 
Paul's answer, Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Now, many years ago, uh, there was a big New York radio uh, station, and it offered a young man that was kind of making a name for himself a singing contract. But there was, a, there was a rule, a little caveat within that contract. It says it, it was that you would have to sing whatever the popular songs of the day were. This young man really had a love for singing about the gospel. And he was told, okay, well, yeah, you can sing a few songs, but that has to be just a real small little sliver compared to all the other stuff that we would rather you sing and be a part. And, and they had this large contract sitting before him, and he was really kind of torn. He didn't kind of know what to do. I mean, this is, this is coming out of the Depression, and all this contract was sitting there, and it, it loomed large of what the possibilities could be. Well, all the while he's wrestling with that, his mother is praying. And thank God for praying mothers. This mom wanted him to do what God wanted him to do, not necessarily what the radio station wanted him to do. And she came across a little poem that had been written several years earlier by a lady named Rhea F. Miller. Now, Ms. Miller would become the wife of Dr. Howard Miller, who was a future general superintendent within the Church of the Nazarene. And it's a poem that this young mother believed would help her son with his decision as, as he prayed and thought through all the different things. And so while he was home one night, she, she left the poem on the piano where she knew her mom, I mean her son would find it. Moms just have a way of doing that, you know. Well, he did find the poem. And it's, they started really speaking deeply to him. These words went more than just beyond the head and into his heart. And as a musician, so what does he start doing? He starts putting these words to music. He now knew what he needed to do. And so rather than spending his life on the radio with lots of fame and money, he decided he just needed to completely give his life to Christ. God, whatever you would have for me. I lay it at your feet. Well, five years later, this young man is invited to sing for a young evangelist that was making a name for himself by the name of Billy Graham. They quickly became friends, and in 1947, this young man began to sing alongside Billy in a relationship that would last for 60 plus years until his death at 104. 
the name of that young man, and some of you probably have already figured this out, was George Beverly Shea. The name of the poem was, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Now, Mrs. Miller's poem is not an easy one to sing. Not because George made difficult things within it. The reason it's difficult is if you get beyond just listening to it and the familiarity and you start really taking in the words, they are words of commitment. They're they're words of surrender and belief and priority that Jesus needs to be our Lord and Savior, that he is all we really need. This morning, before we are sent out, I'm going to have Lenny come forward, and I'd like us to sing that song, but rather than just singing it because you've always sung it, I invite you to pay attention to the lyrics. Because they're not easy lyrics to sing. And instead of just singing them because we've always sung them, what what I want you to do is pay attention. And in this time, if you come to a point where you can truly sing those lyrics, I invite you to sing them full of gusto. Whether or not you think you can carry a tune, I don't care. Sing them because they are a song of commitment. If you need to deal with Jesus first, if you need to to lay some stuff down at the altar because you've been carrying the load, and maybe you've just been expecting Jesus to keep digging you out out of the different circumstances, and you've been carrying it, leave it at the altar. But regardless, I invite you to meet my Lord, meet my Savior, meet my King of Kings, because he is worthy to be known. He is worthy of your life. He is worthy to be trusted. That we don't need Jesus and, we just need Jesus. So I invite you to join us.